0: Thank you, Father, for your goodness. You are good. We are dependent on you, but we do like it that way. Because when we lean on you, you never let us fall. You are good. We ask that you would teach us today about how to lean on you, how to enter your rest. And it would truly make a difference deep down in our own souls, but also make a difference in this world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, page 653. In the Bibles that we give away, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and someone will give you one. It's our gift to you. We're going through Hebrews verse by verse and we're at Hebrews chapter 4. I do have to say we've actually switched back to the CSB from the NIV, uh, at least officially, okay? You can bring whatever Bible you want. It doesn't matter. But I, I just, the new NIV, every single week, I come across, this week especially, uh, the translation is just inferior to the old NIV. I, I don't know. I mean, you're supposed to improve when you make upgrades, Right? And they really have just, they even one passage makes it sound like it's work salvation, the way they translate it. And so I'm just like, that's it. So back to the CSB. I like it anyway. And I found, we found one that has the gospel in it, and so the Bibles we give away. You know, that was, that was the big reason why I wanted to switch back. So there you go. Okay. I know you're probably getting tired. Come on, Larry. Make up your mind. All right. Well, I've always liked the CSB. That's the one I always use, but uh, here we are. Now, here's the question. Are you tired? Sometimes, right? You know, sometimes you get tired uh and you just wonder what what what's gonna what's gonna work in all this? Maybe this, you've thought about this. Okay. And or or just working harder, uh coffee and working harder might help a little but not in the long run, okay? You know, eventually coffee just puts you to sleep. We need to learn how to rest. In, even in the midst of our trials and circumstances in life, we need to learn how to rest, to experience joy and peace that surpasses n- normal understanding. But I'm not talking about laziness. I'm talking about entering God's rest, which is what our passage Refers to. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. For we also have received the good news just as they did, but the message they heard did not benefit them, since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest in keeping with what he has said. So I swear in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. Again, in that passage, he says, They will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, he again specifies a certain day today. He specified this speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. Now, before we move on into this passage, I want to give you a second hermeneutical clue. You're thinking, what does that word mean again? Hermeneutics simply means how do you interpret rules to help you interpret the Bible correctly, okay? Last week, I gave you a hermeneutical tool that we are to understand the warning passages in a corporate nature setting, that we need to think more corporately. We are the people of God, a corporate identity rather than just individualistic. This week's hermeneutical clue in the book of Hebrews, quite often it uses something called typology, okay? That means it will take an Old Testament event or person and then bring new understanding from it as that's an illustration of a more fuller understanding for us as believers, okay? Or quite often uh, it will take something from the Old Testament and show how that points us to Christ, okay, as the type. Melchizedek, when we get to there, Melchizedek in the Old Testament is a type of Jesus, okay, so we'll see that. This, the sacrifices in the Old Testament and so forth. Well, in our passage today, what we're going to see is the land of Canaan. The people of God were supposed to enter into the land of Canaan as their rest. They left Egypt. their In the wilderness, they're supposed to go into Canaan. That's their rest. He's using that as a a typology that we're to enter God's rest, and that rest ultimately means eternal life, a rest that we can experience in part now, but fully when Jesus comes back, okay? So think in terms of that, all right? Now, let's walk through the passage in verses 1 and 2, we see that we enter God's rest by faith, okay? He says, Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short, for we are also received the good news just as they did, but the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. He starts out in verse 1 with a warning. People should fear the possibility of missing the rest. He says, let us beware. That word in the Greek literally means fear, okay? Beware or fear that none of you have fallen short, have missed out, okay? The generation of the Israelites died in the wilderness even though Canaan was the goal, they were supposed to go into the promised land. They end up dying in the wilderness instead. If the promised land represents eternal life, imagine always being tired in this life and then forever having no rest. Okay? God is saying, Beware, make sure you've entered. This rest, that's critical that we ask ourselves that. So people should fear the possibility of missing the rest. And the way we enter it is we must appropriate the good news by faith. In verse 2, they received the good news, it says. By the way, that word is gospel, okay? They received the good news, gospel, and, um, uh we've received it just as they did but the message they heard it wasn't combined with faith all right by the way this is the verse that i didn't like the new niv it says something like did not share the faith of those who obeyed that word in the in the greek is akuo which means to hear heard not obeyed it's like why did you translate but anyway okay it's one of those pastor things you'll you know i know I'll, I'll get over it. All right, okay. So here, we must appropriate. We can't just know it, hear it. We have to receive it in faith. F.F. Uh, Bruce, in his commentary, he speaks on this. He says, why? Because they did not appropriate the good news by faith when they heard it. The good news which was proclaimed to them, summarized in such Old Testament passages as Exodus 19, told them how the God of their fathers, who had delivered them from Egypt, would bring them safely to the Promised Land and give them possession of it, and would make them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation to himself if only they would listen to his voice and embrace his covenant. The practical implication is clear. It is not the hearing of the gospel by itself that brings final salvation, but it's appropriation by faith. And If that faith is a genuine faith, it will be a persistent faith, as we saw last week. And so we must appropriate the good news by faith. Now, Bruce also said that this was a covenant. Salvation is a covenant that we make. It's called the New Covenant. Bible in the Old Testament had several covenants it mentions. The covenant with Noah, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Moses, covenant with David. Uh, a covenant is a binding agreement between two uh, people or groups, okay? And marriage is a covenant, right? You get married, you have this wedding ceremony, you say your vows, you're covenanting together, okay? Salvation is covenant. Called a covenant, as we'll see, but it begins with biblical faith. So we need to understand what biblical faith is. Okay, we've gone over this before, but it's not, doesn't hurt to be reminded. Real faith includes surrender and repentance. Okay, um. You have to want to be saved from your sin, and you have to want Jesus in your life as Lord before you can be saved from your sin and have Jesus come into your life, okay? So it's a matter of the heart. Look at Acts three nineteen. This is, uh, we'll kind of tie in with our statement here on entering his rest. Look at Acts three nineteen and what it says. He says, therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. See that? Repentance is absolutely necessary for the forgiveness of sins, according to this verse, so that your sins may be wiped out. Repent. Have a change of mind and heart about your sin. Turn from it and desire for God to save you from it, okay, so that the sins will be wiped out. But I like the second part, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, okay? Seasons of refreshing. Does that sound good? Okay, That's what we're talking about as far as this rest. When you truly repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ, you're saved, you're born again, and you receive eternal life, beginning to experience these times of refreshing even now. Even in the midst of chaos and the turmoil of life, This is God's promise, okay? So, this is what He's calling us to. This is what these guys missed out on. The Old Testament saints wandering in the wilderness, staying in the troubles instead of entering into Canaan. Um, And that's so real faith includes surrender and repentance. Real faith trusts in Jesus' death, not your works, okay? We don't trust in our own works to get saved because our works would never be good enough, right? We trust in Christ's work, his death on the cross. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins that we couldn't pay, okay? So we trust in him, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works so that no one can can boast. So real faith trusts in Jesus' death, not our own works. And as I said, real faith is a covenant. We're entering into a covenant. In fact, Luke 22, verse 20, actually speaks of the cup of when we participate in the Lord's Supper. It says the wine of the new covenant. Okay, so the Lord's Supper represents and reminds us of this new covenant that we've entered. Right, I believe that baptism is the outward initial ceremony of the covenant. Okay, So we repent of our sins, place our faith in Jesus Christ to be saved, and outwardly we express that faith in baptism, and we have this new life, this eternal life, uh, and we're reminded throughout the years by the Lord's Supper, which is why it's so important to participate in that. Uh, frequently. Okay? So, we enter God's rest by faith. And then, verses 3 through 7, he goes on eternal life is an experiential rest. We actually share in the rest that God enjoys. He goes on and he explains. How, you know, for we who have believed enter the rest in keeping with what he has said, so I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. So he's remind them, these guys who didn't believe didn't enter the rest. We did believe, so we do enter his rest. What kind of rest? It's the rest that God experienced, that God himself rested on the seventh day. Created everything in six days. Then he, it says he rested. So interestingly, we see that God rested. Now, did, did God need to rest? Whew, that was tiring. No, of course not, okay? But he did, as an example to us, but it's quite interesting. This seventh day is actually continuing on because he's finished in the creation process. Now he's working in what we call providence where he is taking care of that which he created, okay? So he's resting from creation, but that doesn't mean he's completely stopped working. He is now taking care of the creation that he made. Uh, let me read from Andrew Murray's commentary on the book of Hebrews. He draws on this. He says... The rest of God was his glad complacency in what he had finished in creation. The beginning of his blessed work of providence to care for and bring, out, bring on to perfection what he had wrought. So God was full of joy when he finished creation. Remember, he said, it is very good, okay? He enjoyed it. He rested, okay? Now, he's still working, But he's finished, he is finished creating. And so then he calls us to rest. So we also are called to rest, as he says in this passage. Now I wanna show you what that means, okay? Let's look at some Bible verses that really help us to get this. Because if you're ever just kinda anxious, full of strife, full of ugh, you know, tired, all that kind of stuff, these verses can really totally change your life, all right? Look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus invites us into this rest, and look what he says here. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Ooh, I could just... That's good, isn't it? Are you weary and burdened? Come to him and he will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me. So we learn, grow in our knowledge of Christ because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, notice he doesn't say you stop working, Right? He has a yoke. A yoke is something you stuck on the oxen so that they would pull the plow to do the work for the farmers, okay? So there is a yoke. He has a plan for us. We're not supposed to just sit around lazy for the rest of our lives, okay? He actually has work for us to do, but what he's saying is is when we come to him, experience his inner peace and rest and empowerment we can do these things, and it's actually light work. Doesn't mean it isn't necessarily hard at times, but with his strength, it's light work, okay? It's what he's saying here in this verse. We enter this rest, we experience this rest, in part now and fully at his return. So in part now, we have this, these experiences of peace, joy, joy, strength, and so forth, be able to accomplish his his work. It doesn't mean life is easy or anything like that, but he helps us through it. Just as God rested in creation but works in providence, we rest in God, but we work for the kingdom in God's strength. Let me show you how it works. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. In this passage... We see that Paul was no wimp. He certainly worked hard, but look at how he describes it. Colossians 1, verse 28, he says, We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Notice his goal. Paul's goal was to present those he was discipling as mature in Christ. That's our goal. That's our vision here at Harvest. We want to make radical, mature followers of Jesus Christ who advance the kingdom of God together, okay? And so that's it. But how how does it work? Look at verse 29. He says, I labor for this striving. That almost sounds like a lot of work, doesn't it? I labor for this striving with his strength that works powerfully. In me, with his strength. I just uh, texted Matthew. Uh, Matthew and I uh, over at Calvary, we uh, pray for each other every Sunday morning. And uh, I texted him this morning. May God accomplish double in your weakness what you could do in your strength. He gets glory and you get to marvel. Preach on in his strength today. Okay? So, not in your own strength. But in his strength, in your weakness, but in his strength, he can accomplish far more than if you're working hard in your own strength. So he's calling us to learn this. How do we do this? How do I work in his strength rather than my own? It's by learning this idea of resting in him in everything we do. Even in the midst of the work, I'm experiencing the peace and the joy of Christ, okay? So... We rest, the inner rest is necessary for effectiveness in the outer work. In Andrew Murray again, he says, deep restfulness, even amid outward activity, is one of the most beautiful marks and aids of the life of faith. Cultivate that holy stillness that seeks to abide in God's presence and does not yield too much to things around. I like it. I just love the way those old dead guys talked. Anyway, so what do we rest in? By abiding in Christ, we rest from anxiety, okay, from worry, from the stuff of the world that just pounds us and pressures us. Look at Philippians chapter 4, another one of those passages that can have serious impact on your life for the good. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. He says, uh, and Jim just quoted this this morning in his prayer, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. That's joy, okay, by the way. Rejoice means be filled with joy, okay? Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything, except, I'm just kidding, okay? Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition. So, prayer with thanksgiving. You know, we do have it pretty good here in the United States, don't we? I mean, come on. Thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, his peace. When you think about stuff that you're supposed to think on, it says in verse 8, dwell on these things, and then he concludes in the end of verse 9, and the God of peace will be with you. When we focus on him, we don't worry about anything because we know he has our back. Then we can relax in the midst of the work, or whatever it is that we're going through. So we rest from anxiety. Anxiety is me struggling in my own strength, okay? There's a phenomena, especially for Gen Z, okay? That's like this latest generation. I think it's 22 years old and under fit into Gen Z, okay? Millennials were before that, right? Now we have this new generation coming up. What they found out about Gen Z is they are full of anxiety, anxious about the future. Uh, There's a new word that's actually been invented. It's called adulting. Have you heard it? I have to adult now, meaning I have to act like an adult. I actually have to get a job, I have to do this or that, or whatever. Okay, and it's fearful. For them, okay. They invented a new word for this because it's so much on their plate, okay. So, this word is especially for Gen Z rest from anxiety, don't worry about anything, experience God's deep rest in your soul, and you will soar, you will thrive, okay. Now, but also, I want to say this. Worship brings encounters with God where we experience His presence and His peace and this joy. And so, worship is essential as well. These quotes that our author has been quoting from. The Old Testament, he's actually quoting Psalm 95 when he says, So I swear in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Today, if you hear his heart, do not harden your hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. These all come from Psalm 95. Now, the book of the Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians. They knew their Old Testament. They would have known these are verses from Psalm 95, and they would have known exactly how Psalm 95 starts. If you don't, we need to look at it, okay? Because this is critical in helping us to understand how to enter his rest. Look at how Psalm 95 begins. It begins with worship. He says, come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. That's no wimpy, you know, I hope I'm gonna get through kind of praise. This is, whoo, yes, praise God. I'm, I've got God behind me. I have no worries. Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to him in song. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all, all, all gods. The depths of the earth are in his hand, and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. In other words, he created everything. Of course you can trust in him. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden in light of that information, in light of that worship, because worship really does bring us into an experience and an encounter with God that changes us from the inside out so that we will listen to his voice. We won't harden our hearts. We will enter into that rest. Now, I want to combine that worship with the word, with the Bible. So skip to Psalm 119, verse 28. So you're in Psalm 95, now just go to Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's like in the middle of the Bible too. Psalm 119, verse 28. He says, I am weary from grief. Strengthen me through your word. See that? I'm weary from grief, if you are weary, if you're experiencing depression, if you're going, you're anxious. Any of these kinds of things, strengthen me, oh God, through Your Word, His Word, digging into His Word, because this is His actual voice, as we'll see next week. Okay, can't wait till that chapter. But anyway, next week. So uh, His Word. Strengthens us. His word helps us through those times of depression and weariness. And so, with worship and His word, uh, we can encounter God and experience this rest. And rest and work should be done in community. To remind you of last week's lesson that we learned, that we're in this together, we do this together in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 6. It's actually in the context of their the good news being proclaimed to them. They are gathered together in assembly, and the good news is proclaimed to them. So a corporate identity of believers is essential to real rest and proper work, okay? You're not in this on your own, and you're not supposed to be in this on your own. Ray Stedman, in his commentary on Hebrews, he says this, Learning to function from a position of rest is the way to avoid burnout in ministry or any other labor. Then he quotes Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. Human effort is still needed, but human effort is never enough. Failure to expect God to act Caused the disobedience of Israel in the wilderness, and a similar failure destroys thousands today. It is called overachieving now, but it is the cause for most of the breakdown of Christians under the pressure of stress or responsibility. Pastors and teachers, particularly, have often been taught that they are personally responsible to meet the emotional needs and to solve the relational problems of all in their congregations. Many sincerely attempt this, but soon find themselves overwhelmed with unending demands and a growing sense of their own failure. Relief can come only by learning to operate out of rest and by sharing responsibility with others in the congregation whom God has also equipped with gifts of ministry. The pastors cannot and are not even supposed to do it all, okay? We're supposed to take care of each other. We're supposed to visit the people in the hospitals, call those we haven't seen in a while, pray for people you know are going through difficulties, reaching out, using your spiritual gifts. Together, we can take care of each other, okay? And that's the way it's supposed to be. So we do this out of a place of rest, but uh, together, okay? Now, back to this wilderness, okay? Remember, this is the type, and then we have, and then he's presenting this type of their are not entering into the land of Canaan as a type of people not experiencing eternal life, okay, not receiving eternal life. There are three kinds of Christians in Numbers 13 through 14. Now, I'm using typology, right? These are Israelites, not Christians, right? Okay, but three, follow with me here, okay, three kinds of Christians in the, in the book of Numbers, which is describing this time of being in the wilderness, okay, right when they blow it, okay? That's Numbers 13 and 14, those chapters. Now, three kinds of Christians we see here. First of all, grasshopper Christians, okay? In Numbers chapter 13, 33, that's when the spies went into the land of Canaan. They came back out and they said, we seemed like grasshoppers to ourselves, and we must have to them as well but it's really interesting how they said we looked we seemed like grasshoppers in our own sight they were overwhelmed by the circumstances instead of looking at God they looked at themselves which made them look even smaller okay grasshopper christians low self esteem can be disbelief in god's strength and so they refused to go in they didn't go in god was not happy with so then God said, okay, you're not going to go in. You're going to wander around the wilderness. Then you had this second group, what I call Jethro Bodine Christians, okay? Uh, you, you, you remember uh, Beverly Hillbillies, okay? Jethro Bodine, he was, uh, you know, the clumsy, thick-headed and dependent on his own strength guy, right, but he was pretty strong, <laughs> right, okay, well, that's what this other group in chapter 14, verses 40 through 45, they said, well, we're just going to go in now, and God, Moses told them, said, nope, God said, don't go in, he's not going to go with you now, and they go, "Oh, hey, I think we could do it, and they go in, and they all get killed, you know, and stuff, and it's like, hello, you can't do it in your own strength, okay, and then there are owl Christians, I couldn't think of another, you know, really good one, I just thought, wise, you know wise guys or whatever, Uh, Joshua and Caleb, chapter 14, verses six through nine, where they were spiritually wise. They said, yeah, those guys are big. Yeah, in our own strength, there's no way we could take them. But We've got God on our side. He's already told us, go in there and do it. Of course we can. Let's go. Who's with me, right? That's the kind of Christian we wanna be, right? Now, our passage concludes in verses eight through 11, that it's possible to miss the rest. Possible to miss the rest. For if Joshua had given them rest. Now, what's interesting is Joshua. Remember, Joshua was the one take, You know, that eventually did take them in to the promised land, right? Okay, Joshua is the Old Testament way you would say Jesus. Jesus is Greek, okay, um, technically, it's Yesus, but Jesus is Greek, and Joshua, technically Yeshua. There are no Js in Hebrew. I don't know why we have them in the English Bibles, but, you know, Joshua Yeshua is the Hebrew for the same name, Jesus, okay? So Joshua didn't do it, but Joshua Yeshua did, okay? Got it? He really is getting us to think like that. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. See, even when they entered into the land, they didn't experience the rest. Psalm 95 was written by David a long time later, and he says they still haven't entered the rest because there is a spiritual component here that they're talking about, and it's eternal life. The true rest of knowing God, of entering into this personal covenant relationship With God, okay? So he's warning them, don't do this. And then he speaks of verse 9, therefore a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. Now that brings up a question, okay? What is the Sabbath rest? This is a new phrase here that he's introducing. What is a Sabbath rest? And another question, are we under the Sabbath law, okay? Christians disagree on this. Three major views of Christians. First of all, some believe we're still under the Old Testament law of the Ten Commandments that you are supposed to take Saturday off as your day of rest and worship. Actually, technically from Friday night to Saturday night, but mostly Saturday, okay? And, uh, and so, and they will point to the Ten Commandments. And by the way, that is the commandment. It, the Sabbath was Saturday, okay? So are we still under that? Or not, they point to the Ten Commandments, others though have suggested no, God changed it to Sunday, still under the law of the Sabbath, but now we take a day off, don't work, and we worship on Sunday. now they have some biblical backing at least by uh, experience when you look at these passages, acts twenty verse seven, John chapter twenty, Colossians or first uh, Corinthians. 16.2 and other passages, it's very clear the early church from the very beginning, even in the New Testament, switched their day of regularly resting and worship from Saturday to Sunday. Saturday was synagogue for the Jews, but they switched it to Sunday from the very beginning. The day of the Lord is what it's called, and it's because of the honoring Jesus' resurrection. Okay, so, so the church and in church history, we see this very from the very beginning, the church always worshipped on Sunday rather than Saturday, so we have a big, biblical precedent, but is it a law okay that 's the the key here. The third position says it's a principle today, according to Galatians chapter three, we are no longer under the law when we look at Romans fourteen, he even suggests that if you do practice one day, that's great. If you don't, that's great, okay? If, if we were still under the law, he would have never said it could be either or, right? He would have said, you gotta worship on Saturday in that verse. He would never have said what he said in Romans 14. Colossians 2, 16 and 17, he says, don't let anybody judge you according to Sabbath days because we're no longer under that as a law. And I believe that the third is the correct one, though the normal practice of the church was to worship on Sunday rather than Saturday. Uh, and But here's the problem. When you embrace this idea of principle rather than law, you tend to make it license, right? Okay, I'm no longer in the law. That means I can sleep in on Sunday. I can... You know, if there's a little bit of snow, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to. Just kidding. That's a, I don't blame people for staying home. I would have, too. I had to work today. But, uh, okay. No, but, but, see, the principle, we, we must see that it is a principle that's, that's for us. The, Jesus said the Sabbath, we, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. We need regular times of rest. Where you just stop working and regular times of worship together as God's people, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter ten verse twenty four and uh, and look at this passage. We'll see this again later, but he makes very clear he says, and let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching, as we see the end times coming up, all the more do not neglect gathering together. Now, gathering together, that word in the Greek is Gay. It's hard to say. But did you hear the word synagogue in that? Okay, it is referring to not just gathering together for just fun or baseball or whatever. It's referring to gathering together for worship, okay? So gathering together, uh, another translation says not staying away from our worship meetings, and that really is what he's saying there. So gathering together regularly. Don't get in the habit of not doing it. Once a month, once a quarter is not enough. We need regularly, weekly on Sunday morning, weekly during throughout the week in life groups. That's the New Testament pattern in the book of Acts, okay, okay? So we see this this calling to us for this rest, this specific time of rest. We need this regular rest. Now, if you miss a day, it's not going to kill you, right? And you don't have to say, oh, I sinned. That's the point of meaning principle. But it's kind of like this. If you miss a day brushing your teeth, you're going to survive, right? But it's gross, Okay, To go a whole day and then all night long without brushing your teeth. You're supposed to brush your teeth twice a day, right? Well, so twice a week gathering together, Sunday morning life group, is not a bad idea. Okay, It really is healthy for us. And so we see this. And then he says, make every effort then not to miss this rest. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. Verse 3 speaks of the rest that we already enter. Verse 11 seems to speak of the rest of the future that we enter because eternal life is something we experience now in part and fully when Christ returns, but we receive eternal life now when you repent of your sins and you place your faith in Jesus Christ, outwardly expressing that in baptism. So, entering God's rest is the most peaceful, blissful experience you can imagine, experienced in part now and fully when Christ returns. Missing the rest is misery now and judgment in the end. There is no more serious question. Have you entered his rest? Let's pray. Father, you are good. Your plan is perfect. You have a way in which you can accomplish incredible things through us all the while we're experiencing your rest and peace and joy you are amazing and we thank you help us to cultivate this i think of this seminar coming up i think it's next week right jim next week next week lord this seminar where we could actually learn more of this, cultivating this presence, your presence, so that this can be true in our lives and we no longer struggle with worry and these other things. Help us. But I do pray for people in our congregation right now perhaps are struggling with depression, anxiety, difficulties in life, I ask that you would come alongside them, Holy Spirit. You'd hold them up. You'd give them renewed hope and faith. You'd help them see Jesus, who loves them dearly and has their back. Help them, O Lord. Give them that strength. And all of us, O God, we need you. And we thank you. Use us now for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.